Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never the longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So in a bit of a surprise move um, in the run-up to WWDC, uh, we are not going to be talking about iOS today. Um, in a strange way, I took um, our own advice. Um, if you've been listening back since, I think it was episode 25, where we talked a little bit about what do you do in the kind of awkward time um, right in the run-up between def- before WWDC, where you don't necessarily want to start a whole new project. You don't necessarily want to do um, something that something big because when WWDC happens in about a little over a week now, um, you know, everything, you may have to sort of drop everything and be moving in a totally different direction and all those types of things. And so I've been spending the last um, couple of weeks since then doing, you know, updates and polishing on most of my applications. And I got to the point where, I had most of my iOS apps in a really good place. And so I started looking around at my various other projects that aren't kind of like my main focuses. And I noticed that um, the Android app that I had released uh, many, many years ago, um, mostly as an experiment, but, you know, nevertheless out in the world, um, had rather been neglected um, insofar as it was last updated in August of 2012 which is something like 196 weeks ago. Oh, my God. um, But I went and looked, and in its download stats, like, people are still downloading it. It still has a reasonable amount um, of interest. And so I thought to myself, well, this is probably one of the few windows I'm going to have where it's going to make sense for me to dive back into Android development, um, to work on an Android app, and, you know, get it updated, get something out before WWDC. Because it's pretty rare that I have these windows for, like, I have a couple of weeks without any other pressing work. And so that's what I did. And I thought it would be an interesting discussion for today to unpack a little bit of the experience of that. Because it's interesting. Like, I'm by no means an Android expert. I'm the opposite of that. I am barely competent as as an Android developer. Like, if it wasn't that... Um, I learned Java as the first sort of academic language I ever learned, like, back when I was doing computer science in high school. It would. I probably wouldn't be able to even attempt it because I have very limited experience. Um, but it's you know it's interesting to look at it f- coming from a you know a day to day iOS developer diving into Android, um, especially because the last time I dived into Android was almost four years ago. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to dive into. Have you ever done any Android work? So when, <laughs> I mean, the short answer is no. The slightly longer answer is uh, when when the Nexus One first came out. I decided it, I was working on Instapaper at the time. A few months, I think, before the iPad was announced, so something in that in that time span. So you know, early 2010 or late late 20, 2009. And so I had this I had this Nexus phone. And so my first idea was let me just try to optimize the website for it because it had it had that weird I believe it was either the pen tile display or something like a pen tile display where like the 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 RGB subpixels were not lined up exactly the way they normally are like on on a regular screen layout. Yeah. Um, and so there were like a lot more green pixels than anything else. So I started experimenting with like color schemes of what makes the most legible text. Uh, so things like you know do I should I do like green on black? Um, so like can I do things to maximize battery life that are still legible that will you know maybe let me to save on brightness by using more green than other colors or whatever else um and then a few weeks into the experimentation the ipad was announced and then i stopped working on it and that was the end of that because the ipad was 
just way more important for me to be working on for a reading app and that proved to be to be correct when when instapaper eventually had its own android app um i contracted that out i i I never even saw the code i have never seen what android development is actually like so then i guess this will be an enlightening journey for you to hear what it's like to dive into android development yeah, I mean, I think it's funny that you know, here you are saying like, well, I'm not that much of an expert. Like, uh, you know way more than I do. You've actually done it. Like, doing doing it at all. <laughs> I have a whole two weeks experience with, with Android at this point. That is literally uh, infinitely more than I have. So, uh, it seems like the best place to start was kind of to talk through some of the things that I like about Android. Some of the things that, um, coming to it, I was kind of pleasantly surprised by. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind is Android Studio which is their new, well, new new to me, um, in development environment. Like, you used to make Android apps by, you download Eclipse, which is sort of like the open source, generic Java SD sort of development environment, and you'd import, add all these extra, like, add-ons and plugins to it, and kind of that would become the Android in development environment. But it, I believe, like, Google either partnered or bought or somehow got a hold of the IntelliJ environment and kind of have turn that into their development environment and i gotta say coming from it from xcode um visually it's it's kind of rough like it doesn't it it has that kind of cross-platform generic look to it um that a lot of java apps have so it doesn't look like xcode in terms of like being really native on the mac but functionally it's actually really pretty good um and does a lot of things that and, and a lot of this has to do with I mean, most Java tools have had this for a while, and I've always kind of wondered why Objective-C and I mean, maybe Swift tools have, but I don't think so. Um, but there's a lot of things where, like, it can do auto-imports um, for you. You know, so if you, you know, if the first time you mention a new class, um, it'll be like, hey, would you like me to import this for you? Um, and those types of things, and it's refactoring tools, and in general, environment is actually pretty pleasant to work in, um, especially even all the stuff that it has to do in terms of managing different uh, emulators and devices and all this kind of stuff. That There's a lot of moving parts, it seems, with developing an Android app, which would kind of make sense given the flexibility of the platform. And their development tools are actually surprisingly good at that and related to that. Like, it's kind of funny they have um, emulators rather than simulators. That's an important distinction, though, too, because, like, aren't aren't the emulators, because they're emulating, uh, su- substantially slower uh, than the iOS simulator? Well, so this was the thing. So that was my experience four years ago, mm-hmm. where, like, the Android emulator, you'd, like, start it and it would run, it would sort of, you, it would spend, like, many minutes trying to boot up and all this type of thing whereas now um the i believe they're doing some kind of intel hypervisor thing with them now i think it's the hacks m process or something there's a way in which the emulators are now like running at very close to native speeds which in once they've crossed over that point means that the emulators are so much better than a simulator would be because it's an actual representation, especially with, as I'll get to with the not-so-great parts, when you're starting to deal with the number of devices you have to manage on Android. Being able to, I can create, like, a Nexus 7. And it's pretty close to an actual Nexus 7 in terms of how it will behave and operate. Um, in ter- and it's 
you don't have the same problem in the same way with a simulator where a lot of things on iOS, like they sort of work in the simulator or, but they don't work in the, like it'll work on the simulator, but it won't work on the device or vice versa. Or there's a whole bunch of APIs that you can only use on device. You can't use in the simulator. Whereas with the Android stuff, it seems like the, you know, the emulators are true emulators that you can do pretty much anything with that you would be able to do on a device. Um, which is really nice. And so in general, I'd give the tools for Android, you know, like a big thumbs up. It seems like they really have come a long way in the last four years and make for a pretty pleasant place to work. That sounds great. I mean, cause I, I think there was one or two times where I did install the SDK uh, long ago in, in the early days, you know, probably or probably about four years ago when, when you when you were doing the, your previous work. And I had only very negative things uh, to say about it because of things like performance issues and everything else. But if it's if it's come a long way, that's fantastic because, you know, I, I, I know well enough in this industry to never say never. And so I very well might find myself doing Android development at some point in the future. So it's nice to know that these tools are way better and way more ahead, way further ahead of where I last saw them. Yeah, and it's it definitely seems. I mean, it's like it's it definitely sounds a bit funny because I think of how in my mind they were just as they were four years ago. But like, obviously, this is very important for Google and the development. You know, the Google developer community that this has definitely been driving forward, and like they are making great great progress there. Um, and the actual like building things too has gotten. I mean, I guess this hasn't changed, but this is something that I was was quite a nice relief coming back from iOS work is one thing that I noticed too is back when I was doing my early Android work, the iOS sort of ecosystem was very unfragmented from a screen size, resolution, device perspective. You know, I can't remember exactly which phone we would have had then, but at the most, I think we would have had two different device screens um, back in 2012. Like it was very straightforward on the layout side um, and handling things that were, you know, in you didn't have a lot of flexible layouts and all the size class stuff and all this other stuff that has kind of been bolted on to iOS since. Um, Android's always had to have that. And so back in the day, I looked at this and it was like, oh man, this is so complicated having to work out and making sure that my app can scale dynamically. But the strange thing is now coming back to it, um, it's really nice that it's kind of built into like the fundamentals of the way everything works. Like everything is dynamic by default. Like in general, nothing on Android when you're working on it, you you know they're all very flexible layouts. Um, in some ways, very similar to the way the uh, WatchKit SDK is, where you don't you know everything is sort of designed to sort of flow and be dynamic and not have any sort of hard coded values into it. Because for an Android app, there are so many different device types that it kind of has to be. And it's been really re- refreshing working on that versus when I do work on iOS now, like all the size class stuff and um, some of the things that you can do with auto layout potentially, or th- like you can do a lot of this kind of stuff, but it's always, it feels a bit more shoehorned in on iOS to me. Whereas on Android, it's because it's always had to be in there. It feels quite natural. And on the other random little side thing that I've absolutely felt like really, really love now that I've experienced it is the Android equivalent of nibs, you know, where you have, where you would sort of um, have UI components that are you're expressing um, not in code is they're just big sort of easily editable XML files, which if you have ever like viewed the source on a nib, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> um, there's like, it's, it's this very nice declarative 
you know, markup language that you can specify your UI in, um, that you can view in source control really easily. You know, if you make a change, you can actually see a diff. Whereas with a nib, anytime you even look at it, it'll change in source control in ways that don't make any sense. Or all of a sudden, all these com- components got jumped, you know, jumped around, and mm-hmm. that's certainly gotten better. But it is lovely to be able to look at and look at something. You know, the, in their design tool, you can look at it like the visual version or the text version. And often I find I just work in the text version and it's kind of nice to have this type of thing that's, you know, UI is such an essential part of building an application that having precision, being able to go in and look at the code that's, you know, or the markup, I guess, for that UI and just make little, little tweaks and changes in a very precise way, I found to be really, really helpful. And like combining that with the dynamic layout stuff, making a UI on Android is actually pretty nice. That sounds awesome, honestly. I mean, like, it sounds very refreshing, uh, you know, compared to some of these challenges we face in iOS, some of the things that aren't so great, you know, as you mentioned, that sounds that sounds nice. Because, you know, it, we are in a world now where I think, I think we are moving towards having more variety in screen sizes, not less. And Android was, was first to that, obviously. And uh, so, you know, anything the tools can do to help that is great. And, you know, iOS does have lots of tools to to assist with that and lots of APIs that are good at dealing with that. But I, I think you know it where, like, Android was, was written that way from day one out of necessity and by design, whereas iOS, a lot of it does feel still pretty bolted on. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because it's a... It, 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 this experience of the last couple of weeks has been definitely very helpful in making sure that I'm aware of the blind spots I have in terms of if I'm going to be an independent, you know, iOS developer, which is sort of what I'd say is my title. Um, if I'm, if I don't have at least a glancing familiarity with Android and being aware with it, like it seems like I'm kind of tying one hand behind my back in terms of the, my ability to do what I'm doing. And I'm not saying that I'm going to be diving in head first and becoming an Android developer. Like let's, let's not get crazy, but <laughs> I would love to see you get crazy. Just go, just go crazy. <laughs> But I love that. That's your version of getting that's crazy. My, too. That's, that's like, me getting crazy. Getting crazy is becoming an Android developer, which just you know. and just more than you already are one. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's just how I roll. So I look at this though, and I'm like, okay, you know, this is this is not as bad as I had in my mind, and it's a good thing to be aware of. And so I'm glad I've kind of gone through this process. And like another thing that I've loved, um, that's been kind of a nice. Um, and a nice thing to see is the Google Play infrastructure, which you'd kind of imagine, be, given that Google made it, is actually is really good. Like the number of things that you can just kind of do natively in, like, which is their equivalent of iTunes Connect um, for us. You know, is there's a lot of stuff just baked into that that is really powerful and really clean and simple, and it's a nice thing. I mean, obviously, there's things like not having review. Um, and even I've run into this, like I haven't fully submitted my app yet, but I've done a couple of beta tests, um, just internally. And it's really nice that you just up, you know, you upload the the APK file and you say, add who you want to, uh, be on the beta test, which is right at this point, it's just myself. But then in the Google play store, you just like a app update will appear in just the same way that if I had pushed, pushed it out to a customer through the, you know, through the main interface, you get a little update. It would be like in the equivalent of in the app store and that updates tab, a little thing would pop up. There's no like extra app that you have to install. There's no extra complexity there. Like your beta testers just get an update. And it just happens to be a beta update. And you see a lot of these kinds of things that are just really nice. There's, their analytics is really good. 
Um, they have all the things are kind of like just baked in nicely together. Whereas I feel like iTunes connect has been adding a lot of this, like for a while, Google play definitely destroyed iTunes connect in terms of analytics, in terms of being able to see a lot of information, which is really important in Android where, um, you know, I look at, I go into the analytics and I break down like the distribution of my installs by uh, Android version or device type or device screen size. And, you know, on iOS, a lot of those pie charts are kind of boring because it's like 80% of people are on the latest iOS version and the distribution between iPhone and iPad is fairly stable and so straightforward. But, you know, a lot of these pie graphs for Android are pretty complicated in terms of which versions of Android is things, but it's all been in there and is very easy to sort of understand and go through. iTunes Connect is getting analytics and stuff, which is great. But it's kind of it's, it's a re- the interface that they have in Google Play is really nice, and you know I've been it's been, it's been a, a nice pleasant experience to be good to go in there and work with. Our sponsor this week is Hover. When you have a great idea for your project or blog, you need to give it a great domain name. And finding that perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. Now, it's incredibly easy with Hover to set up your domain name with your most popular website builders. With this feature called Hover Connect, you can set it, all, set it up automatically with just a few clicks with tons of popular website hosts. There's no more digging through help articles to figure out the DNS settings or anything else like that. Hover Connect lets you set it up very quickly and easily. And they also have transfers that are really easy. If you already have a bunch of domains scattered across other domain providers, you can save tons of money by bringing them all to hover all eligible domains will include free who is privacy and with volume discounts the more domains you have in your account the more of a discount hover will automatically apply so use hover today to find the perfect domain name for your idea go to hover.com and use the promo code fast review at checkout to save 10 percent off your first purchase once again that's hover.com promo code fast review at checkout for 10 percent off your first purchase thank you so much to hover for their support of this show and all of relay fm now you probably noticed that I'm the, the the first few things that I was talking about of being an Android developer were you know p- pretty positive. Like overall, it's a pretty good experience. It's not all positive, and I think I'll. It seemed like I might spend the rest of the episode kind of unpacking some of the things that were not so great. Um, and the first one that I wanted to talk about is the mind bending experience of device of like thinking through and managing device compatibility. Um, so I go into, if I go into Google play and, you know, look at, it has a little area that says like this vert, you know, this, uh, build of your app is compatible to work with, um, a certain number of devices. And for my application right now, that number of devices is 12,346. That, wait, that's, that's like models, not like users. That is model. So like in, in a way that like a 4S or a 5S or a 6S would be a different device. I believe it's 12,346, uh, 12,346 devices. Well, this, this raises the obvious question. How many Android devices are there? I don't know. A lot. <laughs> wow. More than that. Um, because that is, I, I'm only at this point supporting back to Android 4.4. Um, so that, which is a relatively old, but not so old version. So there's a lot of devices. Wow. And in practical terms, like some of that doesn't really matter. A lot of these devices are similar, you know, sort of like the, in, if you're trying to worry to use, like, I don't worry about the difference between uh, some iOS devices too much these days either. Like I kind of conceptually outlines them into the different screen sizes. Like I don't differentiate between the five and the five S. So maybe it's, there's similar things, but still 
that's a lot of devices. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's almost like the web in the world of Android in a lot of ways, where it's like, you you know, you have, like, with your layout, you have this kind of, like, flexible flow box-based thing because you're really just targeting who knows what screen size. Um, and it seems like, you know, the device models, it would probably be, be you know, not that much different for most apps. And this obviously excludes things like games where where the, the exact hardware specs are a lot more important. Uh, but it seems like, you know, it's, it'd be kind of like worrying about what kind of laptop people are using to connect to your website. It's like, well, you know, you, you basically need to know the screen size and, that's a, and their browser, and that's about it, you know? Yeah. And... It's a weird thing, though, because, like, I, on my desk right now, like, where we're podcasting, I can see probably eight to ten iOS devices that I've accumulated over the years, um, because I've learned the lesson the hard way of I never, I, I, any, I basically have kept every single iOS device I've ever bought, um, and I only ever will, like, give it to a friend or a family member or something when it has aged out of compatibility with my applications. So at this point, anything from a 4S and up, I've kept. You know, I have all these devices. Whereas on Android, it's like I have one Android device. I think I have an, a Nexus 5. I think it's a Nexus 5. I'm not really sure. I have a, I have a Nexus device that I, I bought a while back just to kind of play with and try. And so I have to rely on emulators a lot. Like I have... a I don't know. At this point, I think I, I have tested my app on six different emulators, trying to try different things. But it's a really weird feeling to not be able to try the app that you're shipping on a representative sample of the platforms where or, or the devices where you expect it to actually be used, um, which is maybe it doesn't matter in practice. I'm not like soft to find out when I actually ship this update. Um, but it is really disconcerting coming from the iOS world where, you know, I have a, you know, a, a, a physical copy of every iPhone that my apps currently support available to me, you know, some, somewhere in this house, either all the way back from, you know, the, my 4S from years ago to my 6S now, like I have a device that I can try my apps on, mm-hmm. whereas I'm never going to, obviously, I'm obviously never going to have 12,000 devices to test on. Um, and even the thought of trying to have a representative sample of those gets really expensive and complicated because these aren't devices that I buy sort of naturally. Like my iPhone collection has just been a natural thing that I've collected in real time rather than trying to go out and you know buy a bunch of four to $600 devices. And so that's definitely intimidating. And related to that is the, definitely the SDK question of the vast majority of people are not running the latest version of Android. Um, you know, their adoption curve is really, really slow. Like, I, as, when I look at my stats, like, the biggest hump right now is, for me, is around, is their Android 4.4, which I think is at least three or four years old. Um, and so it's a really strange thing when I, when you're trying to make sure that, you, you know, your app works well on all of those. You know, there's a lot of stuff they do that's just really cool. They have this app compatibility system, um, where Google writes, like, it's kind of a, kind of mind-bending, but they write a bunch of classes that are backwards compatible with really old versions of Android with the new features in them that you can include as a library into your application so that your app will run and behave somewhat um, in a modern way on an old system. Which That's is really interesting. Cl- which is really clever. Yeah. 
but also like that's never going to be quite as good as just well 90% of my users are running iOS 9.3.2 or whatever the latest version is like and that is very close to what we find with iOS and so I don't have there's like there's just no need for any of this type of compatibility system and maybe in practice it I'm not sure how much it will really come to bite me but it makes me feel really nervous when I'm shipping something. I'm like, I I hope this works. I think I've tried it on enough devices. I really don't know. I guess I'll f- just have to go through and read my one star reviews um, and see what you know what they look like. Wow. And the other thing that as I'm going through this, that has kind of been a little bit like it's it's it, this is the more like the softer, like more emotional part of Android development. But it's a really strange thing to not feel like I really know what I'm doing. Um, it's kind of like, a, it's a bit, a bit, a bit humbling and probably just probably a good thing, but it's definitely the strange feeling of, I've been doing iOS work for long, for so long at this point that I, like, I feel like, you know, I don't think it's like hubris to say that I'm an expert iOS developer. You know, I've been doing this for as a full-time profession for a seven or eight years now. Like, yeah. You definitely is, are an expert iOS developer. If anybody in the world is, it's you. So, it's which is nice to have that feeling, and then when I go to Android, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I'm going in and reading like the getting started documentation. I'm, you know, sort of really diving in and trying to understand these things. And some of it is even just really hard because I don't use an Android phone on a regular basis. And I look at my apps, and I'm like, I'm just making iOS apps on Android, which is probably means that I'm not making really good apps on Android. Um, in a lot of ways, like I'm making functional apps that, that, that work, but it's weird to, on, on the iOS side, be able to feel like I'm able to ship like, you know, top tier apps in terms of what they're capable of doing, the way they visually look, the way they behave, et cetera. Like I can be confident on that end. And it's, like I said, it's, I guess the best word is humbling on Android to look at and be like, I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, and some of this has been a good experience, I think, of getting over that and just saying like, okay, it's fine. These apps aren't going to be as good as some of the apps, their equivalents on iOS. That's fine. I'm just, it's a good thing for me as a developer and as a person to, you know, sort of be okay with that and do the best I can. And it works out well in this particular case, because I have a very definite end to when I'll be able to work on this. So I can't be like, well, I'm going to need to learn everything and dive into this for months and months because I'm definitely not going to be working on Android starting, you know, the Monday of WWDC. So I have to ship this update before then. And so it's just whatever the best I can do between now and then is the best I'm ever going to be able to do. But it's definitely a weird feeling. And I guess it gives me some sympathy for what it must be like for new iOS developers, too, when you come to the platform and you're like, wow this has gotten really complicated. Like the number of things that a modern application has to be able to do is not insignificant. And so learning all of those things in some ways from scratch again is a good reminder of just how hard this job can be. Although at least now you can click the fix code signing issues in Xcode and it usually works. (laughs) Does it? Yeah. If you, if you have like a clean slate, it usually does work. (laughs) It's uh, it's it's questionable. <laughs> okay, I, I I would not have the same confidence that you've had there. Um, I've definitely I, I know what you're talking about. It has gotten better. Yes, it has definitely gotten better. But uh, you know, 
it's it, it, code signing is always a funny thing. Like actually, amusingly, I ran into uh, this with Android too. Is I thought for a minute that I had misplaced the my private signing key for Android, um, which would be awkward because as best I can tell, you can't get you can't like reissue it. And so, in order for me to update my application, it would have I have to have the same private key for subsequent updates. That's interesting. And so, uh, I definitely had a moment where of panic, where like, oh gosh, like I haven't signed any, <laughs> I haven't signed this for four years. Where is this? Where is this key? You know, eventually I found it. But there's definitely a pro tip um, if you're an Android developer: put that somewhere safe. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> All right. Well. I we I know we have almost no time left, but it, it, can you can you tell yet? Was it worth it? I think so. Like I, I, I like I said, ultimately the things that I want to like it, professionally, I want to make sure that I am doing you know good work in a way that is sustainable. Like that that's oh at, at its core, like that's all I want to come one out of my career at this point. It's like I want to be doing work that I'm proud of in a way that can sustain and you know like feed my family and be successful in that way. And I feel like this doing something like this, of spending a couple of weeks of working on Android, like the app itself, I don't expect to make a lot of money from. I don't expect for it to be a one a, a runaway success. But I like that in the back of my mind, if iOS takes a turn in a direction that makes it really hard for me to work, I have Android as a backup in a way that is a bit more tangible and a bit more concrete than if it was just this amorphous thing that I hadn't touched in four years. So I'd recommend it. It seems like it's a good thing to be more more, more diversified and more broadly experienced. Okay. And with that, we're out of time this week. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.